Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Blow from the Bird Show. As we pack up and get ready to go on vacation and realize that um, we don't have a whole lot of time to do a whole bunch of other things. No, this is the speed show, right? I don't know about that. I mean, we are a motorsports podcast, so there is some... Need for speed? Uh, maybe. <laughs> so let me put it to you this way. Okay. The list of things to do is greater than the list of things that have been done. Thus, if we are going to have a podcast, we need to speed through. And, you and know, this is hammer time. Put the hammer down. Strap mode three. We are going in. You know, the, we, we don't even get the chance. We, we got in today. I was so excited. This week, our season passes, our VIP race passes for the Mid-Ohio Motorsports Park came in, and we could not even go down this weekend to check out our seats. True. But guess what? Our seats will be there when we return. True. Just wanted to throw it out there. They came in. Um, there's something going almost every week. We might even go to an F2000 race. I don't even know what that is, but sure, let's go. That That's like two or three levels below GP2. Okay. But they're single-seater open wheels. Single-seater open wheels, my thing. So, possibly some other tie-in to single-seater open wheels. Haas. You know, we talked last week and the week before about this potential for Roman Grosjean to get behind the wheel of a NASCAR car. Right. Haas is looking for even greater tie-ins and looking to get more cross-pollination between the NASCAR side of their business and the Formula One side of their business. What do you think the end goal of that's going to be? Some of it, I think, is to... Um, attract some of the sponsorship that they have on the NASCAR team over to the Formula One team. Uh-huh. That that that's my thought is, is what Gene Haas's true hope is, and and plus I think they're also hoping for some um, cross pollination for engineering and technical reasons as well. Um, that hopefully that there's some stuff that that both teams could leverage off of each other and bring into the other sport. Um, one of the things that uh, Gene Haas wants to do. He's hoping to get NASCAR driver Kurt Busch, who's one of his drivers, out to Azerbaijan. Mm. He says Kurt wants to come out and see what it's all about. Um, he thinks it's absolutely a home run for media attention. Um, the only other thing, and this is what he says, the only other thing would to would be to bring Danica Patrick over here and have her in a Formula One car. That would just bring so much to both sports, and I do not think there is anything bad about it. Uh, but he thinks it's unlikely that Danica would be drafted into at least his F1 squad, given her NASCAR commitments, but sees no reason why any other woman could not be given an opportunity in F1. Um, I don't know why it has to be Danica Patrick. Because she's Other than the pretty? Name. Yeah, but still, she's got a name, and that's the sum total. I mean, she was in IndyCar, and she was... Kind of successful. She wasn't back of the grid the whole time. Okay, so we saw a piece on Susie Wolf did a basically go girls concept. Mm-hmm. They brought girls out to the track and karting and got a whole bunch of young girls 
into the idea of motorsports. And it was a connection to try to get them empowered and... Well, you know, it's part of her her Dare to Be Different foundation. Dare to Be Different. It's not Go Girls. It was Dare to Be Different. But it's that kind of a concept. And one of the things I took away from that piece was that when we finally get a female driver at performing at the level of F1, performing at these top ends of motorsport, as a, as a woman, as a fan, <coughs> I want that driver to deserve to be there, to have well, yeah. earned it. Not because she's a woman, but because she's fantastic at what she does. And I'm not entirely sure that Danica is getting, is, she may be fairly good, but I don't think that she is at the level of the ultimate of motorsports to say she's earned it. No, I, in order to think that she's worthy of coming up, I would expect to see some more victories out of her. Mm-hmm. That that's the big thing there, and you haven't really seen that from Danica Patrick. And hopefully, there's another driver out there to come up and take that spot. Um, but it should be very interesting to see what Haas does with the crossover. I think the true goal is they want to try and attract some of their not their NASCAR sponsorship over to the Formula One team because the Formula One team has no sponsors. Right, but at the beginning of the year, when questioned about the lack of sponsorship on the Formula One team, Haas, Gene Haas said that was as planned. He wanted to use it to promote the Haas whatever. Yeah, the Haas, the Haas brand. I mean, he's a, a major machine tool manufacturer, heavy machine tool manufacturer, and, and part of it is to promote his business. But along the same lines, you've got to wonder – how long they can go as a self-sponsored team with no other money except for um, what Esteban Gutierrez brings in through his sponsors. Well, the other thought that I was having was perhaps with some NASCAR F1 crossover, he could entice the fans from both sides. If you think about it, he's got a, a fan base at NASCAR that he'd like to probably waggle out F1 in front of. And get some interest there. I just don't think that that's a fan base that's interested. And you don't think much of the F, uh, the NASCAR fan base. Part of my problem is have have seen the um, oh what the heck is his name? Um, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Mm-hmm. And there was a Formula One driver that came into NASCAR, and that was one of the punchlines of that movie was that Formula One driver coming over into NASCAR. That's the thing is I think in general NASCAR's opinion of Formula One is that Formula One jazz hands nut job. Not that it's I, – I think a NASCAR fan is m- going to be more interested in IndyCar because the majority of the calendar is in the U.S. They run on the same courses that – nascar runs on they run on ovals just like they run on road courses i think that's a bigger attraction than formula one is and the fact that indycar runs it airs at a normal time in the u.s a nascar fan doesn't have to get up at two in the morning to watch an indycar race well, except for the fact that NASCAR fan might still be up at 2 o'clock in the morning. But I can't believe that you are judging NASCAR fans based on a Will Ferrell movie. 
I'm just saying. Well, then let's go with that. Let's go with, you know, do you want Would to- Days of Thunder be better for you? No. Okay. But let's just remind you that it is still a Will Ferrell movie. Yeah. So, somehow we missed this. I had no idea that this was going on. Apparently, um, the FIA had told the teams in or, or walking into Australia that um, they were going to apply a long-standing regulation that prohibits drivers from discarding the tear-offs from their visors while out on the circuit. Hmm. Now, this is a direct result, and I think it was in Barcelona last year, of um, Fernando Alonso having to retire from the race because his brakes overheated because he sucked a tear-off that was discarded in the pit lane into the brake ducts. Well, I mean, you can understand it. They've talked a lot about the tear-offs coming off, but is it a matter of no nothing on the grid um, and on the track, or they have to, like, hand it to one of their guys in the pit lane? Well, Article 1.2 of Chapter 3 of the International Sporting Code states that any tear-offs attached to visors may not be thrown onto the track or the pit lane. However, um, when Charlie Whiting came out and said that they were doing this in Melbourne, the teams didn't particularly like it because they hadn't come up with an alternative to deal with the the, the tear-offs. And um, they convinced... Charlie Whiting the morning of the race uh, to at least delay this clampdown until the Spanish Grand Prix. Okay. They backed off again. However, I guess the Force India drivers didn't get the message. Mm. Um, and they highlight one of the problems with this ban. Because they didn't get the message and they thought the, the ban was still in place, they were ripping their tear-offs off and shoving them down in a cockpit. The problem is when they go down in the cockpit, they make a lot of noise. They blow around. They're just – they're distracting. They're diff- Sergio Perez and Nico Hulkenberg both say it's not a viable solution. Mm. So the other option is they maybe come up with a box or something like that to stuff them in, but there's no room in the cockpit for a box. So exactly what the drivers are supposed to do with the tear-offs, that's going to be an interesting question. Why can't they hand it to a pit guy? Because that would prevent that that would potentially slow down the two point four second pit stop. You assign a guy for the tear off. Well, he, they have to be able to squeeze in squeeze in there. Well, and besides, be after last year's disastrous string of pit stops, where Williams went so far to actually put a mismatched set of tires on Valtteri Bottas's car in Spa, I don't think that teams are going to be too happy with making changes to the pit stop layout and the way pit stops work. Hey, trivia quiz. Pop trivia quiz right now. Okay. What team in Barcelona's most recent race won the first and second top fastest uh, pit stop awards? How about better than that? What team has had the fastest pit stop in every race this season? It'd be the same people that had mismatched tires last year. Yes, it? it very much would be. 
that was my question. You should have answered it. You don't answer my questions with a question. A better one? You lost pop quiz. I answered your question with a better one? You did not. Who was faster? Which Whose pit stop was faster, Massa or Botas in Barcelona? I'm going to say Massa. You would be correct. Do you have any idea how fast his pit stop was? Two point, it was either 2.4 or 2.1 seconds. 2.12. 2.12. See, I, I was there. I had it because I saw Yeah, because there's a huge difference between 2.4 and 2.1. I knew it was one huge. of the two. I knew it was one of the two. Could have like driven a car through those two points. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of Williams and their pit stops, yes. their pit stops have been so well, believe it or not, it attracted the attention of the staff of well of Wales's largest neonatal unit. The uh, University Hospital of Wales staff visited the uh, Williams Oxfordshire factory to see firsthand how they operate during a pit stop, so that they could use these things as a way to um, deal with critical incidents within the hospital and within the neonatal unit. Well, they're not exactly changing tires on incubators. So what's the co- what what's well, the crossover? Gemma Fisher, who is a human performance specialist, um, she works for Williams. She said initially they were taken uh, a bit aback by this and thought, how can they relate this? Um, but when they visited the site in Cardiff and actually started to dig a little bit deeper and look at the processes involved in both sides, they soon saw a correlation between the two. There was a lot of areas where there were a lot of similarities and ways that they could hopefully impart some strategic planning, um, training techniques, and analysis, and look at that from a neonatal resuscitation perspective. So after their visit to Williams, the neonatal team streamlined the resuscitation equipment trolley to ensure equipment could be found as quickly as possible and mapped a standardized floor space and delivery theaters to clearly show the area for the resuscitation team to work in. And very similar to what they do in a pit stop. There's each person for every wheel and each thing. They have a, a, a set area that mm-hmm. they were, and they don't leave that area. Right. So it's the same kind of thing that they, they set up in a neonatal unit is the resuscitation team. This is their area. You don't move from that area. That gets you in there. Um, they're also adopting Formula One communication and analysis techniques such as a radio check before resuscitation begins, greater use of hand signals in preference to talking, and video analysis to check on performance with debrief meetings as standard. That's interesting. I hope that Charlie Whiting doesn't try to impose a radio ban. You know, you should be knowing what you should be doing. Yeah. Well, Dr. Rachel Hayward, who's a specialist registrar at the hospital, said they've re-audited the streamlined trolley after six months and found a significant improvement in the accessibility and the organization of the equipment, which in turn has a time-dependent effect on our resuscitation process. She added, delays in providing effective resuscitation care can have marked consequences on survival or the development of long-term complications. Wow. But this is the second time... Um, in what, the last two or three years that we've heard of something that Williams has done or developed for Formula One bleeding out into areas that have absolutely nothing to do with motorsport. If you remember, their aerodynamic research and technology was incorporated. This was last year or the year before, incorporated into stand-up freezers or refrigerated cases in supermarkets. Correct. To conserve energy. Mm-hmm. So... 
when I tell people why I'm a Formula One fan, mm-hmm. one of the, the ticks that I list off is always, you know, the things that are on your car today originated in Formula One. And yeah. while you look at these single-seater open-wheel cars and say there's no correlation to the road course, we all know that regenerative braking and traction control and things that are very standard on cars today all started in the F1 world. Yeah. I find it absolutely fascinating and will add it to my list of things in our cars today came from F1 and now things in our hospitals and our freezer case came from F1. Yeah, exactly. Now, I don't know if any of those those developments in the freezer case have moved to the U.S., but they were being incorporated into freezer cases in the U.K. Hey, freezer cases are freezer cases. Yeah. So, the race last weekend. The race. We, we can't not talk a little further about... Actually, before we even do that, we got a really cool radio call from Jensen Button. Yes. You know, w- with all the issues that McLaren has had over the last two years. It's not that often that we get to hear a McLaren driver commenting on the pace of other drivers on the track. Um, so we got to hear that. And now granted, this was Rio Harianto he was talking about, and it was down to the back, but he was about to lap Rio Harianto. And for just let, let, let's put, put that in perspective. A McLaren was about to lap another car. McLaren Honda, who I don't think has lapped anybody in a very long time. Yeah. So this is what Jensen had to say about the situation. Yeah, the car out of the way. It's going to cost us time. I know he thinks he's quick, but he's not. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody tell him he's not very quick. And then, you know, once again, we heard from Seb. Ah, what what did Seb have to say? Well... You know, we talk again. We talked about this last week that uh, Daniel Ricardo pulled a move on Seb, couldn't hold it. Um, it was an opening that was there, and Seb had to back out of it. Um, he had some comments during the race mm-hmm. about it. If I don't avoid that, he's just going straight to my car. Honestly, what are we doing? Racing or pickpocket? Stop moaning. <laughs> See, you missed the last bit of that. What did it? Hang on, I'll play it again. If I don't avoid that, he's just going straight to my car. Honestly, what are we doing? Racing or pickpocket? Stop moaning. That would be one of the commentators from Sky Sports. I did not add that. Oh my! I didn't put any of that in. That that was unedited from the comments that he had <laughs> in response to Seb. <laughs> And as much as I like it when the drivers get animated like this, it, it's gotten to a point where every race, to, and, and it even kind of sounded like it from Seb, it did sound a little whiny this time. Mm-hmm. And I think what would, made it even worse was after the race, Seb going, yeah, well, you know, if the tables were reversed, I would have done the same thing. It's like, come on, man. I, I get it, but it's racing. It's Grand Prix racing. And... You left the door open, and he went for it. it. That's the thing is, yeah, I think Seb does come across as a little whiny when he doesn't 
when he feels that somebody else would take a a shot that he, only he should take or yeah. something like that. But we really can't ignore the big event. The one thing that everyone has truly been talking about all week. Max Verstappen won the race, right? No, not that. Oh, uh, youngest ever Formula One driver on the podium? No, uh, actually, we'll, we'll let uh, Ted Kravitz at Sky Sports, um, with the, we'll, we'll just turn it to him with the call. Round red turn three we go, and it's Nico Rosberg and Hamilton's onto the grass, and Hamilton's had a massive crash, and he's crashed into his teammate. The two Mercedes come together as Hamilton tried to pass on the inside, and he can cover his hands over his eyes, and he won't want to see that again. We have the safety car out here, but the two silver arrows have crashed on the opening lap. Hamilton takes out his teammates, and there will be a big big inquiry behind closed doors into that I, oh. I i don't think you can describe the incident any better than that no you can't you kind of wonder why the rest of the grid kept going on <laughs> <laughs> it was like there was this giant crash maybe we should all just stop and go home possibly because there was more happening than that <laughs> but you know some of the aftermath of this whole thing did uh, you know when when you have two cars, not just one, but two cars involved in a fairly significant shunt, it does a bit of damage mm -hmm. to the point that um, over a thousand parts between the two cars were damaged. Two thousand parts between the two cars had to be inspected. So they didn't have to inspect what, like five? I, I think all that was left was a seatbelt. They might want to tug on that and just give it a shot. Yeah. Serious damage between the cars that had to work on. Um, there's still a lot of debate over whose fault it is. And I think from what I have seen and, and, and the number of times I have rewatched the video, um, I'm more convinced now than ever that it truly was a racing incident. And that was the way to call it. Um, and watching the video from both Lewis's perspective and not so much the in-car from Nico, just Nico's response, mm -hmm. I'm kind of seeing it. Yeah, it was a racing incident. The reality was there was an opening on the right side. Lewis saw the opening, and like a racer should, an aggressive racer should, he went and stuck his nose into that opening and tried to take the opening. Along the same lines, Nico, realizing that he left an opening and needed to defend that opening, went to exactly that, defend it and slam the door shut. What I, it's not clear, and this is why I think it's a racing incident, is whether or not Lewis had enough of his nose in that Nico would have actually seen it. And given the amount of time that there was, for just overall, that that incident took place over, even if Nico saw it, I don't think he could have reacted. And I think he was well within his rights to defend the position. Well, I think that your <clears throat> categorization of the incident is exactly right, except you left out one piece. Okay. Nico had mistakenly changed his engine setting. He which did. Which is what opened the door. Now, no. Yeah. See, I disagree. He had, 
Lewis had 17 um, kilometers per hour on Nico because of the change in the engine setting. He turned down his engine too soon. Right, but the reason why that doesn't apply. Okay. Yes, Lewis had the speed, and that's why if he had more room— he would have before the, before let me let me rephrase that that's why if he had more room before the turn he could he would have and could have overtaken nico however the truth of the matter was yes nico may have been down on power but he still had the lead and he still had the track position and even though he was down on power he still has a right as the in a competitive situation like that to defend the position whether he's down on power or not oh and that's why i, I don't think it applies i completely that's why lewis was able to blow past him can i finish now maybe I don't disagree with you that Nico had a right to defend his position. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't even say that Nico being in the wrong engine mode is the cause of the is the cause of the accident and thus Nico should be penalized. I'm not even saying that. I'm saying that Nico being in the wrong engine setting opened the door it yes it definitely opened the door but i don't it think is, that it, he's it's, responsible it's the error that allowed hamilton hamilton's nose wouldn't have been where hamilton's nose was if nico had been in the right engine setting so it allowed hamilton to do that now hamilton is an aggressive driver and he breaks traditionally later than nico does mm-hmm. so he shot into that spot and nico yes i believe nico shut the door on him the question I have, and this is one that I can't answer, is did Nico see him there and refuse to give him the one car wits that he's supposed to have? It looks all for the world to me like Nico pushed Lewis off the track. Lewis then spun and such, but I don't think it was a malicious, I'm going to push you off the track. I think he didn't give allow the one car width that I think he should have given where Lewis's front tires were. He was, he's, my understanding is that you're only required to give that car width if you can tell that he, and, and that's why I said, I'm not sure, given how quickly this happened, that Nico could have been able to see or know that Lewis had gotten as far up as he had. All, all I think that Nico knew was he left that gap open and Lewis was coming. And tried to shut the door before Lewis got there and had no idea and, and probably had no time to react anyway if he had realized that Lewis was coming. Well, I think so, and, and, and that's why. I think that it came down to he realized he left the door open and left it wider open because he was in the wrong engine mode because it is very clear that he was changing his engine mode during that process. Yes. Actually, I, I think he said he, he didn't say he was changing the engine mode, but he was, he was hitting the, uh, overtake, the overtake button. To try to um, offset it. Yeah. Um, however, Sir Sterling Moss disagrees with us. Well, Sir Sterling doesn't like Lewis very much. I don't know about that, um, but he does think that Lewis is to blame. He doesn't like Lewis very much. He called Lewis a very aggressive driver and has said things about him in the past, he shut up for a while when Lewis got his third title. Um, but Sir Sterling is not a big Lewis fan. He said, and and not Sir Sterling, this is uh, Jackie Stewart. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Jackie Stewart. Is also not a Lewis fan. But says it, it's Lewis's fault. I'm not surprised. Jackie, Jackie says, it's unacceptable for drivers with experience to have an accident on the first lap. None of the big guys ever did that, which is not true. Wrong. But anyway, he, he says, um, you didn't see Juan Manuel Fangio, Sir Sterling Moss, or Jim Clark do that. One of the major assets for all the great drivers is their mind management. I learned to remove emotion from my whole body to head, and that's why I always won my races in the first five laps. Sir Jackie says he hopes that Lewis has learned a lesson and will consider the ramifications of such a move on his team in the future. It was a spontaneous moment by Lewis that if he were to think back on, he wouldn't have tried it again. He needs to think about what happened in Spain. He has to consider the ramifications to his employers. The damage that it caused to Mercedes is the combined total of those drivers as they would have been first and second. He has to re think his complete attitude towards what he is responsible for and that applies to every top line driver i don't think that would have happened with sebastian vettel vettel wouldn't have made that move fernando alonso wouldn't have either rosberg wouldn't have done that and i'm sorry rosberg tried it in in uh spa two years ago and it failed on him and listening to what vettel has said this past weekend i think vettel would have tried it if he saw the opening was there and i'm betting that fernando would too i i don't agree at all with what sir jackie has to stay here i'm telling you i think sir jackie is very biased he's not pro lewis when lewis won his last race or so somebody interviewed jackie and his answer was something to the effect of well maybe now he'll slow down and be less reckless because he is yeah. caught, he he Jackie has described Lewis as being very reckless because he's aggressive. Well, Sir Jackie wants Lewis to be disciplined, mm-hmm. and it is our understanding that as a direct result of this incident, there has been a second position created on the naughty step at the factory in Brackley. Oh, so now they have two naughty steps. Yes. For one for each driver. One for each driver. There, there's now two naughty steps available for them. That that's how they're going to do. You have to go sit on the step. They they may. They, I hear that next time they may continue or consider an expansion to the timeout corner. Ooh. Yeah. Um. But they're going to put a love seat instead of a timeout chair. Something like that. Um. Toto Wolf. He's angry and upset about this. He wants Mercedes to move on from the crash. He does not feel a need, at least for now, that for any sort of clear-the-air discussion between the team and the drivers. He's going to step out of the room and let them figure it out themselves. No, well, no. If he's saying that there's no clear-the-air clear discussions needed, he's not doing anything. They're not, doing, they're not even going to have that. Oh, right. He is pulling a Nathan Jessup. There's going to be a code red at some point? There'll be a code red. All right. <laughs> they probably call it like a code silver or something. Maybe code aqua. Well, no, they're, they're German. The Germans don't do that sort of thing. They're very proper and correct. It says in the rules that you do not do this. We will not do this. Really? We're going there? I don't know. All right. Moving on to Red Bull. Okay. Hey, we watched the other day 
and unfortunately we have not heard the full piece yet we are trying to find it it doesn't even though channel four has been teasing it we have not been able to get the full clip of Susie wolf and david cothard singing in this really gorgeous mercedes we're working on it though <laughs> it's good um, to have connections at mercedes for Susie, isn't yeah. it yeah but one of the things i had to notice it was it was very apparent um in watching their pre-race coverage for Barcelona. Alan Prost is a horrible commentator? He is awful. <laughs> and, and actually, not just pre-race, but pre-qualifying as well. Alan Prost, God, no. Oh, he's awful. Get rid of him. But even without He's that, also very short. Well, yeah. I mean, he's a, 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 he's a Formula, Formula One driver. A lot of them are short. Not all of them. I, again, let's look at David Cothard and Mark Weber and Nico Hulkenberg. But a lot of them are short. I, you He's know. like jockey short. Well, it, it's my understanding that Sergio Perez is like five foot two or something like that. I mean, he's not a big guy. Massa is not a big guy either. Massa is not. Yeah. But Massa is a nice guy. But anyway, once again, I'm stuck having to draw the comparison between Channel 4's coverage and NBC Sports coverage. And the first thing I have to mention is, obviously Channel 4's coverage is, they, they covered Barcelona live. So their pre-race was an hour to an hour and a half, both pre-qualifying and pre-race, an hour to an hour and a half of coverage before anything happened, where NBC Sports was 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. If you happen to have been playing the Max Verstappen drinking game during the NBC Sports coverage, 10 minutes in, you would have died from alcohol poisoning <laughs> because that's how many times they mentioned Max Verstappen. By comparison, in that entire period for Channel 4's coverage, you might not have finished your first beer. Yeah. It was much more holistic view of the grid as opposed to all Max all the time. I mean, they didn't ignore it. They, they, they definitely discussed it and discussed uh, also... The, the perception of what it must look like from Daniel Kvyat and, and, and that part of it as well. But there was a whole lot more that they talked about besides just Max Verstappen. Right. Like the entire grid walk. There was no Max Verstappen at all. No, there was no Max Verstappen. There was tra tracking down all sorts of... We had the physio for Kimi Raikkonen because Kimi Raikkonen won't talk. Right. So we had the physio for Kimi Raikkonen. We had the physio for Daniel Ricciardo. Because why not? And Daniel Ricciardo, who said that, you know, he offered to let his physio drive for the weekend, but he had other things he wanted to do instead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I believe Christian Horner made some comment that Ron Dennis has 50 pairs of the same shoe. All right. <laughs> it's, it's always entertaining when, when uh, David Cothart is doing his grid walk. And Susie Wolf was asked how come she doesn't join David on the grid. And she said that um, then she would miss David Cothart's walk because she enjoys <laughs> watching it a whole lot more. <laughs> I wouldn't want to try to chase down David Cothart on the grid. He's, he's all over the place. But... Anyway, back to, to Red Bull. Okay. Daniel Ricciardo is still really upset over the strategy for that race. He, is, he was bitter over the fact that he ended up having a three-stop, and Max got the two-stop, which put him in the position to win the race. Now, there was a strategic reason for it. 
Okay. Christian Horner's come out and said that their concern was Vettel. They knew Vettel was faster than them in a straight line, and they were looking for a way. They wanted to cover Vettel. So the decision was when Vettel came in and got his tires changed, they brought Ricardo in as well so that he could cover Vettel with, yes, that put Max on a two-stop strategy, but Kimi was on a two-stop strategy as, as well as that point. So that left Max to cover Kimi. Oh. And that was the thought behind it. Well, in a way, maybe Ricardo needs to think about it a little bit differently and think that a Red Bull thought he was the one that was strong enough to cover Vettel. Well, what Daniel says is, you know, sure, it's every man for himself, and I'm bitter, but not at Max. He did what he had to do, but I'm bitter at the situation. Um, <clears throat> like I said, Christian Horner said, it was always going to be tricky to keep the Faris behind us. In clean air, Ferrari probably had a slight car advantage on us, so they elected to split the strategies because it wasn't obvious who was going to be the quicker route, the three-stop or the two-stop, and we felt Sebastian in clean air looked to be the fastest car, and we were asking, how do we beat Vettel? We felt by splitting our strategies, it gave us both options because we knew the two-stop was going to be under a lot of pressure at the end of the race in terms of degradation. Max looked after his tires incredibly well to make sure he had just enough left to fend off Kimi in the last few laps. All righty. So, yeah. One other thing we completely missed, thanks to NBC Sports. You know, Formula One has, and I question the decision. I, I, I get why they do it, but I question the decision. Formula One has made the decision in, in recent years to bring up folks with absolutely no connection to Formula One whatsoever up to the podium <laughs> for podium interviews. This week, or this past week, Formula One decided to bring Spanish operatic superstar. There's really no other way to describe him. Placido Domingo up to the podium to do the post-race interviews. Well, that sounds perfectly reasonable. He's a superstar. He's Spanish. It's the Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, I mean, obviously, he must be a huge Formula One fan, right? Oh, yes. And, and you know what? He got the, the proceedings off to a fantastic start. Um, starting by calling Max Verstappen, as you have noticed, the youngest Formula One driver in the history of the sport, Marcus Verstappen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, isn't that awesome, that little Marcus? That, well, he was just trying to keep Max grounded. It doesn't matter that you just broke three different Formula One records, won your first ever race, won Red Bull and Renault's first race in two years. You're you can't be so big that people have to remember you. Well, you know, remember he's Placido Domingo. People know his name, but he doesn't need to know anybody else's. Um he also went on to congratulate the two Spanish drivers in the race. Now let's review where those <laughs> pan those Spanish drivers ended up. Spanish think... Spanish driver number one didn't finish. Thank you, Alonzo. Spanish driver number two, sixth. Hey, but sixth isn't so bad when you're in a Toro Rosso. Yeah. And then, just for the icing on the cake, he had to let out a great big cheer for a soccer team. 
football. FC Barcelona, who who won their their match. Oh, they did actually win. Yes, they they did win. (laughs) At least they didn't lose. At least there was that. But and and admittedly, football has is probably the only sport out there that has a larger global audience than F one. But really, (laughs) hopefully. Mr. Domingo will not be getting a return invitation to do this again. Oh, I hope not. So after racing, this was the uh, the first of the in-season testing. Yes. Williams made a lot of headlines in testing. Yes. In particular, they were trying some new wing and uh, front and rear wing configurations, most notably, they were running for a large – actually, I think both days in testing, they were running double rear wings. So you had your normal sing- rear wing like we're used to, and then on top of it was a second wing. Huh. Now, to be clear, this is not something you're going to see in the future. These are not permitted under race regulations. So the current technical regulations don't allow this. But in testing, you can run whatever you want. Okay. The reason that Williams did this, um, these wings were specifically designed to accentuate and highlight the weaknesses of the car. Mm. They wanted to specifically identify and look at and get data from where the, the car struggles the most with. Interesting. Not only that, but these wings didn't give any speed whatsoever. Oh. They, 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 there was no performance enhancement. They were specifically to destabilize the car and make it harder okay um yeah they ran it both days very cool um red bull and uh renault both ran the new renault engine the one that we have been hearing about since the start of the season was headed to montreal right um initial word back is that they saw between 0.5 and point or 0.4 and 0.5 seconds uh, a lap mm-hmm. in terms of increased performance on this. Um, things went so well that I guess Max Verstappen went fastest on the second day of testing with the engine. Um, he may have possibly set a track record. Wow. Yes. Um, there was a lot of push over getting these engines rolled out earlier. And now Renault is saying that... Um, they will probably be able to supply engines for Monaco. However, they don't have enough tooling and parts for all the cars to get the engines. So it'll be available for one Red Bull and one Renault. Okay. Now, the big question here is, if you are Red Bull or Renault, do you bother with the engine for Monaco? And the reason for that is Monaco is traditionally a low-speed circuit. When Red Bull has done well there, like last year they they were competitive there, they were down on power because you don't need the power. You need the handling and the turns. So is it worth taking the engine for that for a car or wait until Montreal, which is a power circuit, and get it in all your cars? And have a brand spanking new (coughs) engine for Montreal. It's a good thought. So that's the question. We'll see what happens with that. Um, The other thing to come out, the the other notable thing to come out of the – the test was as a result of the testing in Barcelona, Lewis Hamilton will not be able to participate in the test in uh, um, Silverstone later this year. Why? The reason for this, and, and 
it's it's not the well Lewis is off to go party or whatever. It's actually something completely different. The original test plan that Mercedes had was that um, one day of the test, Nico Rosberg was going to take the car out, and he did. The second day of the test, uh, one of their development drivers, Esteban Ocon, who's a French driver who took uh, one of the Renaults out in FP1 before Barcelona, mm-hmm. um, he was supposed to take the car for the second test, second day of testing. And then the same thing was supposed to happen over in Silverstone. Lewis was going to get one day. Ocon was going to get the second day because the requirement is you've got to have two days of testing for your young driver. Right. However, Renault decided to give the seat to Esteban. Mm, for their testing. Right. Esteban Ocon has been lent to Renault for testing and development from the Mercedes program. Mercedes did this intentionally. Um, but Renault turned around and said, yeah, we want to keep him in, in the seat both days. As a result, Mercedes needed a driver for day two of testing. Oh. So they called Pascal Verlein. However, Pascal Verlein, since he is a current F1 driver, even though he's in a junior team, he's competed in more than three F1 races. He doesn't qualify as a junior driver. Oh. Which rules out Lewis from taking part in Silverstone because they need to go and get, I'm assuming, Ocon into their seats for Silverstone. So he drove, he drove what would have been Ocon's stint in Barcelona, right? And thus gave up Silverstone. And as a result, they need they, they need have the to dedicate days. those seats to a young driver. Does that also mean Nico would not be driving? Right, but Nico already had a, a spin. Right. So, so this coming week is is Monaco, mm-hmm. and I don't know how we're going to watch it yet. We're going to figure something out. I hope. Um, I always dig Monaco. No matter how much people say that it's processional (laughs) and that there's not a lot of passing, and then you turn around and you watch somebody dive bomb into the hairpin and barge their way through through Roscos, or as Richard Hammond says, Rasmakas, Makas, (laughs) Makas. You know, and how narrow it is, and I dig Monaco. Visually stimulating. Yes. And all of those things. You said stimulating. I did. I did. <laughs> okay, so favorite moment in Monaco so far? Was Wait. The, oh, I, I was asking. I'm trying to predict. Okay, tell me. Was it when um, Pastor Maldonado smashed into the barricade over at uh, the swimming pool chicane and caused the barricade to whip completely across the track and block the entire track? No, but that's good. Oh. That's good. Was it when... Um, Pastor Maldonado deliberately ran into somebody in practice coming out of the tunnel because he was pissed off at him? No. Oh. And I can give you a big hint. (laughs) Favorite moment in all of Monaco races I have seen not involving Pastor Maldonado. Oh. Was it Roman Grosjean rear-ending somebody coming out of the tunnel? No. Oh. You got any more? Was it... Nico Rosberg deciding to overrun a turn at the very end of qualifying <laughs> to prevent Lewis from making his lap and thereby giving Nico the pole. No. Oh. Lewis at the end of the race last year pulling off at the entrance to the tunnel to go watch the boats. <laughs> Have a moment of zen. Yes, he, he, he needed a moment at that point. No. Oh, I give up. 
It's a Max Verstappen moment. When he plowed into the wall at eight bajillion miles an hour? No. It was last year, under blue flag conditions, Mighty Max (laughs) figured out that since he was racing the lapped cars, Mm -hmm. that if he just tucked up real close behind the car that was getting the blue flags to be passed through. As in Sebastian Vettel. Right. He just tailed Sebastian Vettel, and much like chasing an ambulance down the street to go faster, that's what Max did. Up until Roman Grosjean said, uh, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shut that one down. Yeah. Roman did shut that door, but the best was that radio call of the, you know, that child-like radio call of Max of, hey, if I follow this guy, they just keep letting me pass. Yep. <laughs> Max, keep your mouth shut. But that was so, that was so much his youth right there. So, tire selection for Monaco. We get to see the famous Snuggle Bear tire. Not only do we get to see the Snuggle Bear tires, we get to see a lot of the Snuggle Bear tires. The teams have loaded up on their allocations for tires with the Snuggle Bear tires. Um, Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg, Daniel Ricciardo, Max Verstappen, and Kevin Magnussen will be, ha- have 10 sets of the the uh, Snuggle Bear tires available to them for the weekend. 10 sets. By comparison, Lewis will only have two sets of the red Super Softs and just one set of the yellow soft tires. Wow. Yeah. Same thing with uh, Rosberg. Vettel, he's only got nine of the uh, Snuggle Bear tires with two softs and two sets of the super softs. Massa and Bodas, they're going a little different. What are they? Still a lot of the the Snuggle Bear tires. Um, They're only bringing seven. Um, Four super soft and two softs. The... Lowest number of uh, Snuggle Bear tires is going to the Manor Bunch. With uh, Verline and Harianto having six apiece, five of the Super Softs, and two of the Softs. Interesting. So tire strategy is going to be kind of interesting. That will be very interesting. Oh, I do hope the Snuggle Bear tires work out for them. And I do hope that they did, instead of using some color on the sidewall, actually put the Snuggle Bear. No, they're purple. You'll be looking for the purple Snuggle Bear tire. The purple Snuggle yes. Now, in addition to the possibility that we may see um, Red Bulls and Renaults with an engine, mm-hmm. McLaren Honda has come out and said, well, Honda specifically has come out and said that they're going to be bringing an upgraded engine to McLaren in Monaco, maybe Montreal. Oh. They're not sure yet. But one of the two, there's going to be an upgraded engine. So we'll see it by spa. Yeah. <laughs> well, whether or not it actually does anything. And oh, by the way, I should also mention, because it's been a while since we have heard the idiotic bravado come out of McLaren. Eric Boulier, this past weekend, came out and said that we have the power and we have the ability to take it to Ferrari in Monaco this weekend. Okay, let's see that. Whatever Eric Bouye is drinking that is giving him this, I am going to see if I can get that while we are on vacation because <laughs> it should make it a really good vacation. The only problem is that kind of bravado is what causes people to leap from balconies. Oh, crap. 
So none of that. Well, the silly season talk has started. <gasps> and I don't have the music queued up. But the silly season music has started. There, or, or talk has started. Um, the rumors are flying that Nico Rosberg is flirting with Ferrari. Ooh. Are they texting? Are they calling each other late at night? Just letting it ring one time and then hanging up when Ferrari answers? Maybe, you know, maybe they're debating on whether or not to ask a, ask a, a Riva Bene out for a cappuccino. Well, what we know, okay, um, this past week the Italian website Corriere reported that uh, Nico Rosberg has been courting the Italian team over a drive alongside Vettel next season. Rosberg and Vettel's teammate Kimi Raikkonen are both on deals which expire at the end of this year. So in Russia, Nico told the media that he has not started proper negotiations with Mercedes over a contract, but added this was more due to how early it was in the season. Now, at, at the Barcelona test days, Sebastian Vettel was asked about this, mm-hmm. about the possibility that he was flirting with Ferrari. And what Seb had to say was, as long as he's not flirting with me, it's good news. Everything else you need to ask our boss, which is Maurizio. Interesting. Yeah. Now, here's the question I have. Okay. Just spitballing with you for a second. So, we know that Kimmy's days at Ferrari are numbered. Mm-hmm. We're, we're kind of sure of that. We know well, they're probably gonna... we think so. Because Maurizio came out before Barcelona. Actually, I think it may have been right after Barcelona. And said that if Ki- Kimmy keeps driving the way he's been driving in the last couple of races, he wouldn't think twice about re-signing him. Hmm. So, they may be numbered. All right, so let me let's just go down this path mm-hmm. that Ferrari would keep Vettel over Kimmy, mm-hmm. and they'd have an open seat. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem to take a rocket scientist to figure out that they would probably be sniffing around the Mercedes garage. Yeah. Now I know that Nico's deal is up this year, but Lewis's is not. Correct. But Lewis is a three-time world champion, and Nico is not. Correct. There's that, but again, Nico may be cheaper cheaper to get because you don't need to buy Lewis out of a contract. Well, but again, also this week there have been that, those rumblings of Lewis wouldn't consider his career complete unless he had a chance to drive in a Ferrari. We've I heard, heard that, that too this week. Yeah. Again. So I I don't know, but we know the Williams drivers; those seats are coming open. Mm-hmm. I can't see Ferrari signing Jensen. I could see William signing Jensen. I can't see Ferrari signing Jensen. Hmm. The other question is, if Roman Grosjean keeps performing the way he's performing, he is essentially in a Ferrari program right now. Right. So there's that possibility as well. And there has been talk that he has been trying to further deepen his connections with Ferrari. And he was not afraid to admit that that was part of the reason why he considered the move to Haas in the first place as opposed to staying with Lotus and chancing it with 
what might come of a, a Renault partnership. Right. So, yeah, there's a... Well, you know, just like the homecoming queen, everybody wants Ferrari. Now, Nico, for his part, has not denied the rumor. Oh. What he has said is, I'm happy at Mercedes, but let's see what the future brings. Interesting. Yeah. Now, when it comes to 2017, we talked last week that uh, some major upgrades were coming to the Force India team, mm-hmm. to which we then said that, and they were supposed to be major enough that you, that, um, you were sh- should have seen significant changes in the look of the car. Okay. That we didn't see. Okay. In theory, it was some changes to the side pods that they were narrower and some other stuff. I, I don't know. Nico Hulkenberg retired from due to a engine fire. <laughs> Perez ended up in like seventh or eighth. He, he got points. Okay. The question is, is that enough for them to keep developing this car? Or they, is, have we hit the point where they're going to throw in the towel? Yeah, we talked about that last week, that based on the outcome of this race and testing, they were looking at possibly throwing in the towel. Now, I can't imagine they're going to stay with it for long, one way or the other. Right. Um, they have said that the switch isn't far away. But it, does that mean after Montreal, after Silverstone? I don't know. Right. So that that's the question. This weekend, just changing gears and changing direction a little bit. Okay. This year, as we have mentioned, is the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. And yes, this weekend is. is qualifying for the Indianapolis 500, which is next weekend. The grid for Indy. Much bigger than Formula One. Right. 33 cars. Right. Um, but teams apparently have been scaling back what they want to field over at Indy, despite all the prestige and everything else that's going on. Um, it turns out that the financial struggles that Formula One teams have, are having aren't necessarily unique to Formula One. There are teams in Indy that are struggling just as much. There was a team in particular that was trying to get into the Indianapolis 500 and could not make it happen. Um, I, I hesitate to mention one of the notable things about them because I don't want that to think that that's the reason why I'm calling attention to them. But Grace Autosport is the name of the team. Okay. Um, they've been working since late last season to determine a partnership feasibility. Um, and they discovered instead that numerous teams had chosen to scale back their plans for 2016. Um, they were ready to announce a team partnership for the Indy 500 at Long Beach back in mid-April, uh, but there was a change in terms that proved unsound for, the, for, their, spa- for their sponsors, and ultimately they had to step away from the deal. Um, they had also spoken with Delara, wh- who makes the chassis for the Indy cars, about buying a new car after Long Beach, but there wasn't going to be a current car available in time for the uh, Indy 500. Um, they'd evaluated a chassis, but there wasn't enough time for them to get it rebuilt. Um, because of that sequence of, of events, they decide not to campaign a car. The issue is, and, and, and the notable thing, and I'll mention now about Grace, is that they were intending to fi- field an all-female lineup. Oh. 
and I mention it now, I deliberately wanted to bury it because that wasn't as cool as the fact that they tried to, they just couldn't get the financial pieces lined up in a way that worked with the timing to get the chassis. Um, Derek Daly, who's a former driver, both with Formula One and IndyCar, told the Indianapolis Business Journal that IndyCar teams in general are at the weakest level I've ever seen them. I would estimate that three-fourths of the IndyCar teams are financially unstable. It's the worst situation I've seen in American open-wheel racing in decades. Um, there have been several big sponsors who have departed, including GoDaddy and the National Guard, and as a result of that, several promising drivers were kept off the grid. Uh, now, because of those monies disappearing, they're seeing problems extending to new teams, with existing teams scaling back their efforts and new teams that can't even get started to fill the extra spots on the grid. Mm, wow, that's yeah. disheartening. So from IndyCar struggling over finances, we move to Sauber. So you're telling me this is a juxtaposition, right? That Sauber has solved all of their financial difficulties and they are in direct opposition to the struggles that IndyCar is having. Well, we have words from your favoriteest team principal in the whole wide world. Total Wolf? Monisha Keltenborn. Not Remember, the favoriteest. No, no. Total Wolf is your favorite. Yeah. Monisha Keltenborn is your favoriteest. <laughs> Difference. <laughs> Words are important here. <laughs> From real word to fake word. <laughs> <laughs> to, now now to you get truth it? truth versus lie. Now you get it? I get okay. it. Okay. So Manisha says that she is confident that the ongoing financial problems hampering the team's progress will soon be resolved. She says, we've been making progress. We've had to because stagnating is no option, and we hope it will show soon. There is obviously some fr frustration around at the moment. But if we had the financing and we were still where we are, then that would probably be more frustrating. So it does give you, I don't know the word for it, but it's not comfort for sure. But when you know you have these things coming in and you can't implement them, then it's frustrating and it takes a lot of patience. So you need to continue to focus on what you are doing to just bear with it. Asked whether she was confident of something materializing that would help the team this season, Monisha said, yes, it will. When she was asked why the situation was taking so long to resolve, she replied, it is not long. If you look at other deals we've had before, such as when BMW bought into the team, you have no idea how long that went on. No idea, I tell you. None whatsoever. You can't imagine. Nobody knew until the end. So from that perspective, we are actually moving quite fast. But things take their time, and you just can't push it. Um, suggested to Kelton Bourne that the upgrade package currently on the shelf was significant and would prove the fortunes of the team, she said yes, and it has to. Oh, you think? <laughs> she consulted with Captain Obvious for that message. So I'm trying to figure out what possible um, infusions of cash she is working on. Well, actually, I've got a couple of options in my head. Bake sale comes to mind. No, actually, I was thinking more in lines of the last three major infusions of cash that she supposedly negotiated with Russian bajillionaires that somehow, when it came time to actually produce the money, didn't actually do it. <laughs> 
Mm. So which fake Russian bajillionaire has she approached now that she's trying to get money from? Or did she finally realize the monumental phrase, show me the money? (laughs) No, I'm still thinking that possibly she's considering a bake sale. Um, You know, buy a date with one of the drivers, you know, auction a date with the driver. Maybe. Marcus Erickson. Yeah. A night with Marcus Erickson. Yes. I mean, she can't sell the seats she's learned that that doesn't work really well yeah, yeah the, the the multiple so, yeah butts in one seat does not happen i don't know and all i will have to say is i can't believe that woman still has a job i know i'm beginning to believe she has naked pictures yeah not and, of her of somebody else on that note that's tim taylor care of tool time <laughs> P.O. Box 3273. Yeah. <laughs> ow, ow, ow. <laughs> I'm just saying. You're just saying. You, if you're going to throw those allegations out there, well, you got to be ready for what's going to happen next. That's fine. <laughs> she, she is least qualified for her job than I am for her job. I don't know about that. Oh, come on. You're my biggest supporter. You have to support me in this bit. No, what, what I was... I, I don't know about the qualification piece. In terms of actually doing the job and being successful, you probably have a better chance at this point because she sure as hell is not. But I don't know about the qualification piece. So I'm thinking I shall run a campaign to have her job. I will call it Make Sauber Great Again. <laughs> You have the most, the greatest plan. I do. Sauber is going to win so, so much, much, we're going to be bored of them winning. I know. <laughs> you are going to be so completely impressed by my plan that you will, you'll be blown away by the plan. You, you, you have incredible ideas, but just to make sure that the other teams don't have a chance to steal them, can't tell you what they are. You're just going to have to trust me that I have the greatest plan. But I'm going to tell you this. I am going to build the best chassis and aero kit on the grid. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to make Mercedes pay for it. So is the reason why the Sauber cars aren't performing well because there's blood coming out of the car's <laughs> eyes and out of its whatever <laughs> no no wait let's once again that's tim taylor care of tool time p.o box three two seven now i'm not saying that i'm not saying that the car is ugly i'm just saying that it's not attractive <laughs> And possibly its front wing is a little too small. So, I'm, I'm just saying. Now that we have done that, <laughs> okay, I think wait, this wait. is a really good time for us to go on vacation. I'm just saying. Can I, can I just let our studio audience know that there are actual tears rolling down your eyes right now? Yeah. And I don't think that they're, they're, they're sad tears. No. Not All right. So let's go on vacation and leave our audience to their own devices. Um, 
we did try something out this past week. We may try it again. Um, an iPhone app called Talk Show, which allows us to basically text and tweet and talk to each other live. You can react to it. Um, I'm not sure we're going to stay with it. We haven't posted on it in a couple of days. And once you do that, I think it becomes hard to find an existing show. So I'm not sure that that's the way to go. But we did try it out. We may try it out again. Keep an eye on a Facebook feed. We'll announce when we're doing it again. But I think it may be a better way to interact with folks to use Facebook than that. But it was something we thought we'd take a look at. Well, you know, people often tell me that the thing they like the most about us is the way we interact with each other. Oh, I thought it was when we ended the show. No. Oh. That's the second most important oh. <laughs> thing that they like about us. Um, one of the things that I thought talk show was interesting for is it would be a, a ability for people to see our texting live. True. They, they could watch the texting that happens between us and feel like they are a part of the banter. That That is true. There is that. I don't know. We, we're, we'll take a look at it again in the coming weeks. But other than that, uh, remember to go check us out over on Facebook at uh, The Bloke and the Bird. Well, not the Facebook page, The Bloke and the Bird Show, um, where as we see stuff happening, we will comment on stuff as well. Um, that's a great way to interact with us and comment on the show and what's your opinion of how Monisha Keltenborn can possibly save Sauber with the greatest plan ever. No, that's my plan. Don't give her my plan. Okay. I'm A running to run Sauber. A different plan. Okay. Um, or uh, leave us a comment over on the webpage at uh, theblokeandabird.com. But uh, we will not see you next week and possibly the week after. So we're going to be off for two weeks. Truly. As we go check Enjoy out. Enjoy the silence of your podcasting. Yes. And while we head up to Alaska so that we can't podcast. <laughs> and on that note, we'll cue Barbie. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.